What do you think? I think we're dead meat. Real dead meat. Welcome to the Dead Meat Podcast, an extension of the YouTube channel Dead Meat. I'm James. I'm Chelsea, and we're a boyfriend and girlfriend, and we like to get scared together. Yep. Yeah. Today, we're going to talk about zombies. Yeah. And why they're freaking everywhere. Yeah. Or, I mean, a little less so now. I was going to, you know, I think it's we're waning a bit on it's zombies. Waning. Yeah. Once, uh, once Andrew Lincoln is like, no, nah, I'm good with zombies. Yeah, that might be like the, I think uh, he called it. Yeah, he called it. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, this is a very exciting episode to have. I think it's going to be one of our best. You did a lot of research. It's a research-heavy episode. So for everyone who likes those, which I think is everyone, mm-hmm. uh, we got a lot of fun stuff in here. A lot of fun history. Which yeah, I'm always a big fan of. I was concerned I didn't have enough research. You were concerned that this was way too long. Yeah, so we'll see who's right. <laughs> Hopefully, it averages out. <laughs> And we get a nice, solid, reasonably length episode. Yeah. But yeah, zombies. It feels like, especially a few years ago, zombies were everywhere. You couldn't escape zombie shit. Yeah. Just everything was zombies. We even had a zombie rom-com. Oh, that one. Warm Bodies. Warm Bodies, that's right. Mm-hmm. I remember that. That was around 2013? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, Walking Dead is still on the air. <laughs> Yeah, How many seasons shambling. has it been? It started in 2010, I think. So it's like eight years, but it can't. I don't know. I, I'm seasons behind on it. I'm pretty far behind on it. I, I was there when Negan came in, and that was about it. I didn't stick around much after that. I'd love to go back and catch up. I know a lot of big spoilers, though, which we obviously won't go into here. But yeah, Andrew Lincoln said he's done with it, and he's the main right. character, Rick. So like, I don't see it going I mean, it would be kind of perfect for that show of any show to become (laughs) a zombie version of itself. Yeah. You know, for sure. So let's let's define zombies as we know them. Okay, they're undead or Mm -hmm. living dead. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they were were formerly dead persons who have been reanimated through some force or another and uh, kill people uh, generally. They eat people. Eat people. That's a general thing. Sometimes brain specifically, other times just flesh. Mm-hmm. Uh, oftentimes they can only be killed by destroying the brain. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the only way to kill them. Uh, anything else? I mean, things play with how they become reanimated. Uh, Walking Dead's really depressing in the fact that, like, anyone who dies becomes a zombie it's not you don't have to be bitten oh, to be man okay. that's the real depressing part is like there's you will you will be a zombie when you die it's not a matter of like oh i was bit by a zombie so i'll become one i see it doesn't matter how you die you'll become a zombie okay so. i don't watch the walking dead so yeah, this is yeah, yeah. to me um so yeah so uh, zombies before they become you know how we know them they were very different they have their origins in haitian voodoo and voodoo um, was kind of a spiritual system that was it, it originated with uh, African slaves being brought over by the French in the 1600s to Haiti, or what was known then as Saint Domingue. Is that? <laughs> <laughs> I you I know, what? I'm not even going to try to correct anything more Frenchly. That's than canon now. I needed to. <laughs> so part of those beliefs maintained that anyone who died an unnatural death. Uh, such as being murdered, would be stuck between life and death. 
that's a pretty common belief, actually. I think that's how a lot of people, you know, think ghosts function is they're kind of stuck. So a witch doctor is then able to bring the corpse back to life and keep the animated corpse as a slave. And this creature has no free will or agency, and they're called a zombie. So the word zombie's been around for a while, although uh, in this... um, as, as a voodoo term and in this older term, it's it's Z-O-M-B-I, no E. So then the Haitian Revolution happens, and this takes place between the years 1791 to 1804. That's and this, a long revolution. It, yes, very long, but a successful one. Um, it was the slave revolt there against the French colonizers, and that's when Saint-Domingue <laughs> becomes Haiti. <laughs> Good. So, yeah, this Good. Is, we can stop saying send them out. <laughs> yeah. So this is the I mean, this revolt is, yeah, like you said, it took years, but that's, you know, so did the French Revolution. It's one of the biggest and, you know, uh, it was a successful revolution. Is Haiti the only country founded by former slaves who like threw off their oppressors? I think it, it may be. There may be another one maybe in uh, South America, but I, I feel like Haiti is the only country founded by uh uh self-freed slaves yeah which, that's pretty fucking cool I mean, man it's, it's, sucks that it's uh located in a place in, on planet earth where a lot of shit happens to it yeah for real yeah yeah so this revolt because it's so huge and ultimately so successful freaks the west out because it's a threat to western imperialism oh man 19th century and late 18th century, good imperialistic times, yeah. man. If you were an imperialist, you were living the life. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, I feel like if you're an imperialist, generally, you're having a pretty good time in world history. Most of the time. I feel like past maybe 40, 50 years, you're probably a little sad. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> so voodoo is used as evidence of Haiti's savagery as a contrast to the enlightened West enlightened white people. And so in 1915, when the United States occupies Haiti after their president is assassinated, American Catholics are immediately interested in putting an end to voodoo. An American in Haiti named William Seabrook is researching voodoo around this time, and he actually encounters, quote-unquote, zombies. This is an excerpt from his 1929 book, The Magic Island, where he met Oh, can I read it? Oh, sure. It's a direct quote. I like quotes. So he met... Three supposed zombies who continued dumbly at work. There was something about them unnatural and strange. They were plotting like brutes, automatons. Without stooping down, I could not fully see their faces, which were bent expressionless over their work. The eyes were the worst. It was not my imagination. They were in truth like the eyes of a dead man. Not blind, but staring, unfocused, unseeing. So these are uh, probably just actually slaves. Yeah, probably just slaves. Uh, you know, pretty sad that they're slaves doing work. Yeah, doing work for American companies. It's 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 like producing and selling sugar. <laughs> this reminds me of and. Uh, I don't mean to compare myself to Haitian slaves, but uh, this reminds me of when people hop in. (laughs) It reminds me of when people hop in my live stream and I'm working and people are like, why do you look so depressed? It's like, cause I'm fucking working, dude. It's like, oh yeah. Oh, uh, hey, William Seabrook. These people look like they're, they're dead in the eyes. Yeah. So does everyone in the office building down the street. That's called working. dude. It sucks. And nobody likes it. 
They're not zombies. Yeah, and they're probably working. I think it was common to work 18 hours. Of course. You're not being fed. Without pay. Nope. Yeah, you try working that with a smile on your face, Willie. Right. <laughs> so Seabrook writes this up anyway as an encounter with zombies, <laughs> and in doing so, introduces the concept of zombies to America. And this is where the first zombie film comes from. White Zombie, not Rob Zombies. Aww. And White Zombie released in... Isn't that his band? Yeah. Did they get their name from this movie? Uh, probably. <laughs> yeah, probably. From Haiti, land of the voodoo, white zombie. So that's released in 1932. Hmm. Zombies are still voodoo creatures in this film and continue to basically represent a fear of blackness and voodoo and the quote unquote other Mm-hmm. Throughout the 40s and 50s, zombies start to mirror the country's fear of the bomb and the Cold War. Hordes of zombies are brought to life as a result of science experiments, and you can kind of read the imagery of armies of brainless men as either a reaction to communism or, you know, conversely, a jab at American conformity, because this is the, you know, this is post-war. Yeah. Think of, like, 1950s America. So you can, you can, uh, you can use zombies... On either side of the Cold War. That's fun. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're equal opportuni- opportunity uh, metaphors. Right. That's <laughs> why I'm saying, you know, they're so loaded because we can just project whatever onto them. Yeah. You know? So, yeah, I, I bring up this prelude to modern zombies to really drive home the fact that zombies in American culture have always been political. We project a lot of our anxieties onto them. This soul killer takes men from their graves to be his slaves, his instruments of terror. And now this fiend plots to possess a woman. So then in 1968, the modern zombie is born. Zombies up to now are in films like Plan 9 from Outer Space, so they're kind of silly, really silly. I mean, that one's one of the worst movies of all time, (laughs) infamously. They're over the top. There's aliens often getting involved for some reason, you know, mad scientists. And uh, to illustrate the stark contrast between the movie that births the modern zombie, which is Night of the Living Dead, and its predecessors, here's an excerpt from a review written by someone we just spent an entire episode on, Roger Ebert. There was almost complete silence. The movie had long ago stopped being delightfully scary and had become unexpectedly terrifying. A little girl across the aisle from me, maybe nine years old, was sitting very still in her seat and crying. I don't think the younger kids really knew what hit them. They had seen horror films before, but this was something else. This was ghouls eating people. You could actually see what they were eating. This was little girls killing their mother. This was being set on fire. Worst of all, nobody got out alive. Even the hero got killed. So, yeah, this isn't a movie. Just drop the kids off to see. Because, again, zombie movies... If that's all you know about it is, oh, it's a movie with zombies. Yeah. Up to now, it's dumb shit, like, like Plan 9. Ed Wood shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The creature with the atom brain is another <laughs> big one, I think, from the early 50s. So, yeah, 1968, that's the year Night of the Living Dead comes out. This year is, like, notably violent. Oh, yeah. Um, And the, the four or so years leading up to 1968 are also super violent, marked by a lot of unrest. God, that must have been crazy to live through, man. Mm-hmm. Starting with like JFK mm-hmm. and just damn. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. The late 60s, we have riots in most major cities, often as a result of police brutality and racial discrimination. The demonstrators are determined to march on Convention Hall tonight in protest. Chicago police are just as determined not to let them anywhere near the place, so the police are at the park in force. We've got drafts beginning for the Vietnam War, the march on the Pentagon in 1967. And that's, you know, that starts with 100,000 people protesting in the Capitol and then 30 to 50,000 ish move to march on the Pentagon. So that's, you know, where you see the famous picture of I think it's the hippie girl holding up a flower and there's a, a guy with a gun. It's Oh, that's not military. from Kent State. It's not from Kent State. No. Wow. I always thought it was, too. Oh, it's damn. From Kent State. So the uh, Martin Luther King Jr. assassination in 1968. There was shock in Harlem tonight when word of Dr. King's murder reached the nation's largest Negro community. Men, women, and children poured into the streets. They appeared dazed. Many were crying. You have Robert F. Kennedy assassinated oh, also man. in 1968. RFK. Yeah, so all this stuff's going on and people are like, oh my God, the world's ending. <laughs> yeah, must have seemed like it. Yeah. Absolutely. Especially coming off of like, I feel like the 50s were probably the decade most uh, most stereotypically most stereotypically like the golden years of well, America. Yeah, we have post-war economy. Everything's yeah. great. Everyone's everything's great for money. America because like the rest of the world is fucking I mean, ravaged. Everything's great for you know. Yeah, for white dudes. For yeah, and just people, people who are, are well off. Yeah, yeah exactly. People who are exactly. But but it's also like the rise of the middle class because yes, exactly. of the rest of the world being just ravaged, and that's why the American com- economy was doing so well. It's not something we can get back to. Sorry, folks. Not, yeah. not that way. The Joint Congressional Committee on the Economic Report has gone even further. They say, Our economy can yield a potential gross national product by 1965 of about $535 billion. Think what this can mean. It means that within this 10-year period, all of us have the possibility of living one third better than we do right now. And there's also that kind of sense to, you know, post-World War II that, you know, after going through this war, I think America kind of has the idea that that stuff doesn't happen here because it just totally ravages Europe. Yeah. And that's the old world, but America's the new and we're safe and um, everything's great. America has the distinct advantage of only having two countries on its borders and a giant ocean between yes. it and the rest of the world. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I mean, after the war, America would be feeling probably invincible, mm-hmm. be feeling like the good guys. Mm-hmm. They went in there, they fixed that war, uh, that war. they mm-hmm. stopped the bad guys, the very clearly bad guys, yeah. you know? You don't get much worse than the Nazis. Yeah. Uh, and... So yeah, fifties, everything's feeling great, and then just to have the world come crashing down around you during the sixties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, though George Romero has said that any racial or political implications in *Night of the Living Dead* aren't necessarily intentional, he does rec- or he does recognize that the imagery in it is very potent. In my mind, most of the power that it has relates to the time that it was made. All right, send the wagon through. Uh, and the we'll anger of that time. Randy, light these torches over here. And the disappointment of that time. Even though he maybe didn't make it with these intended meanings or this intended subtext, he totally gets why it resonates when it comes out and why it gets super popular. So, but it is important to kind of look at what possibly informed his writing. 
during his formative years and because his teen years would have been again you know post-war era of the 1950s like we said even though the 50s for many people in America was pretty cool. There's still, you know, these giant cultural shifts that are happening. We have the Supreme Court in 1954 ruling that school segregation is unconstitutional. The Montgomery bus boycott begins in 1955. The Cold War ramps up with the Soviet Union launching the first uh, world's first ICBM in 1957 and then Sputnik. So that begins the space race. So there's still a lot of shit going on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of... Uh... Yeah, a lot of uh, civil rights stuff began in the 50s. Yes. Uh, I, th- I think partially, at least, because so many black people had fought in World War II. And yes. then it was like, yo, why <laughs> you know, we like gave our lives for this country? What's right. up? So there's a demand in this time uh, among teens for content that's cynical or kind of gloomy, especially, you know, if you're living in this picture perfect 50s era you're kind of if you're a teen maybe you're a little more aware of what's going on underneath the surface so you want that kind of cynical content so there's a a demand for it and in that way youth culture in the 50s is a precursor to what we see in the late 1960s Hmm. horror comics are a big big deal in the 50s and they're super influential for a whole generation of filmmakers and these are counterculture um really really controversial comic books i would love to do a whole episode about them because i don't think people realize how like loaded those things were if you've ever seen creep show the beginning of that is a kid getting in trouble because he has one of these ec comics you see that crap all that horror crap things coming out of crates and eating people dead people coming back to life people turning into weeds for christ's sake the 90s have to be the decade with the most parallels to the 50s i think the 90s probably have to have that same spirit of like america's invincible the economy Mm -hmm. was strong there's not any like big wars going on and like everything seems great so like what would be what would be like the is that like grunge Grunge. yeah Yeah, i was gonna say that generation x cynicism (laughs) and apathy apathy yeah i think that's exactly where that comes from it's the same kind of idea but yeah so these ec comics they're often families that murder each other even (laughs) eat each other it's family drama again think of the first yeah this is the 50s so again think of that first bit in creep show it's the where's my cake (laughs) that whole thing like a fucked up family dinner yeah exactly so you know uh for example you know i think a common trope in these is the husband murdering his wife and serving her to dinner guests wow so yeah i i think i might have to do a whole episode about these because they're really fucked up but it's cool because they're so old and you can really like see where these influence the horror greats like Romero or John Carpenter or Wes Craven like I don't think we have them without these comic books yeah I would love that because that's definitely a blind spot in my horror history knowledge and uh you know it's something that obviously is probably pretty important to yeah the development and they're really the genre. cool yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're really cool and really fucked up so this type of horror in the home this domestic kind of horror is explored in Night of the Living Dead even unintentionally the way it's shot even evokes the news you have radio you've got tv broadcasts black and white kind of adds to that feeling even though it's a budget choice so that kind of makes this movie feel real and close to the home i mean it all takes place in a farmhouse it feels really domestic think of what's going on at this time in the news in 1968 you've got for the first time ever ever americans are fully able to kind of comprehend the horror of war yeah because 
I mean, television began in like, I don't know when, 30s, 40s. Yeah, so TV, I I looked to make sure, but Americans at large only start getting TV after World War II. Yeah. So we don't have television during World War II. We don't get the imagery that American families are now getting every day broadcast right into their living room. From yeah, Vietnam. like the the technology was developed earlier, but as with all technology, it takes a while for it to permeate into the general culture at large. And so that's why, like, when you think of, like, the classic TV shows and, like, the oldest ones you can think of, they're probably from the 50s. Mm-hmm. Uh, stuff like, I think I Love Lucy was 50s, mm-hmm. maybe 60s. Leave it to Beaver. Leave it to Beaver. So that's all, like... Those sitcoms and the honeymooners, maybe. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not sure. Maybe some of those are 60s, but that that's when it TV becomes like the the new American pastime, I mm-hmm. guess. And it's in everyone's homes. Mm-hmm. And so exactly, it wasn't there for uh, World War II. Any reason why Korean War wasn't broadcast? That's a good question. Yeah, because yeah, uh, Vietnam is like. I mean, the it war. is called the Forgotten War. <laughs> it is called the Forgotten um, War. Maybe the. Uh, technology wasn't there for for journalists and for I, uh, to have that mobile. I, I kind truly, of yeah, I don't even want to try and make an mm-hmm. educated guess because I don't really know. But yeah, so Vietnam is when there are like journalists in the war with yeah. cameras reporting from the fucking front yeah. lines, and people are and seeing, we're seeing this shit. shit like the Tet Offensive. Yeah, broadcast into our home. Uh, I got hit in both legs. Pop, pop uh, smoke, four three. <laughs> well, we got seven months in country now three purple hearts i don't need a fourth <laughs> you can't you it's it's much harder to uh romanticize war when you're seeing the effects of it broadcast into your living room yeah when you're seeing and again this is what i i think ties it so neatly to this new type of zombie movie that romero's kind of invented is literally this invention of of tv and these news reports you're having images of kids you grew up with who have been drafted and killed, brought back to your home. You're having the dead bodies of your friends and family like placed in your home. They're invading your living room. Yeah. It's it's very creepy how well those things line up. And I think like subconsciously there's a little bit of that in Night of the Living Dead. This movie does sometimes explicitly reference Vietnam. It doesn't, you know, reference what's going on at the time because at the end of the film, a news anchor even says a search and destroy method is going to be used to defeat the zombies and search and destroys that's an offensive technique that we use during the Vietnam War. Do you know anything about that or uh not specifically? So what it is is I I don't know like super detail i'm sure someone um i think fig- i figure any war there's someone who knows so much about it dude every war it has like historians just yes. dedicated if to my dad if, if my dad's watching this he's probably yelling at the sorry TV. bob my dad wasn't uh fought in vietnam but so search and destroy is is um the idea of the success quote unquote of a battle is measured by body count like that's when we start counting bodies versus like other mm. quantifications of success. It's fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> that's real fucked up to count bodies. Yeah. So, um, you know, just to add to the kind of unease of this film, Night of the Living Dead also just totally upends basic mainstream 
cinematic norms. So for example, the woman that we meet in the beginning, Barbara, we think maybe she's our main character. She becomes useless essentially God immediately it, and she doesn't end up romantically with the hero. Oh, Barbara. We gotta watch that remake by Tom Savini. <laughs> yes, where Barbara is, is like, like a, a kick ass. I think she's got short red hair too. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> so the young couple we are introduced to that we think, okay, maybe we're supposed to root for them. They also die halfway through. And the nuclear family we meet, just the representation of typical American nuclear family, is also wiped out. And then their kid comes back as a zombie and eats the parents. Yum. Yes. And then our hero himself, Ben, also dies. So everyone dies. Yeah. The hero, Ben, is played by a black man, Dwayne Jones. And George Romero has noted that any social implications there, racial, weren't intentional. And that he just genuinely had the best audition, which I can believe. I think, you know, he was a classically trained actor. He was so good, I think dude. up to his death, he was teaching, um, which... Like acting? Yeah. Like, he he's an man. actor. Yeah. He and seems you can like tell. It. Yeah, oh that monologue, man. This thing is just backing away from it. I looked back at the diner to see if, if there was anyone there who could help me. It was when I noticed that the entire place had been encircled. Even so, the casting of Dwayne Jones and the character of Ben, you know, you can't avoid racial implications. And again, it's what makes this movie so powerful and why it impacted so many people. You know, from his first appearance to his death, when he first appears... The fact that he's black seems to give Barbara pause about whether or not to trust him. And his death has shades of the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr., even though that wouldn't happen uh, for a year after the movie was completed. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. But, but like, still, even even if you're not comparing it directly to MLK, I mean, there's Malcolm still, X had already been assassinated. Malcolm X was 1965, I think. Malcolm X was assassinated, yes. But even just the idea of these cops at the end um so if you haven't seen the movie i guess spoilers but (laughs) the cops come in and they they see this farmhouse that's overrun with zombies and they just start shooting in you know indiscriminately and they shoot this this black guy who's innocent and is the one survivor but they don't care and when they shoot him they say that's another one for the far (laughs) and that (laughs) in their crazy accents yeah it sucks yeah like not in like that the movie sucks it just like it's it's it hurts such a gut punch and then the montage after they they kill him and it's it's the end credits i think is all these still images Mm -hmm. and you kind of get vibes of um like a lynching is what it feels well, they're like grabbing him bit. with like meat hooks and tossing him onto a pile of bodies and yeah yeah also has kind of vibes of vietnam photography mm-hmm. yeah Definitely. yeah yeah so i think the still imagery like the pictures that kind of that montage it's yeah. powerful dude. it is it is the end of that movie what a fucking movie it's so good guys seriously if you haven't seen night of the living dead don't let the fact that it's black and white <laughs> or old freak you out it's so fucking good yeah like it's really, really good. It still affects me. I think it's creepier because it's black. And me white, too. For sure. There, someone on Twitter today was posting pictures. Um, and there were ones I'd seen before because I think at Judith O'Day's table, she had pictures that you could buy signed from her, but it was color pictures of the cast. And it looks so weird to see them in <laughs> yeah. color. And that movie just wouldn't be 
the same, I don't think. Before we keep going, guys, I just want to talk really quick about this week's sponsor, Shudder. Shudder. Yes, Shudder's AMC Network streaming service for horror, thrillers, and suspense. It's kind of like a Netflix of horror. Yeah, I love Shudder, dude. Yeah. I've advertised Shudder on the channel before because it's a product that I believe in. It's so fun. It's so nice to be, it, it's so nice to have something where it feels like you're being catered to and that they actually care about you because, you know, horror fans, we like niche stuff. And sometimes uh, you look at the Netflix selection on horror and it's not great. So that's why you pop over to Shudder. Yes, because this was curated by big old horror nerds, yeah. which is what you want in a streaming service like this. So, you know, if, if you haven't seen, for example, Night of the Living Dead, that's on there right now. There you go. Yes. So if all this sounds appealing and you've never seen it, which you should, go watch it on yeah, Shudder. The, the best thing about Shudder is that not only does it have classics not like Night of the Living Dead, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, uh, uh, Hills Have Eyes, like these classics that everyone needs to see. It also, if you've already seen all those, dude, you're going to find stuff that like you don't know about but is really cool. Yes, I just saw right now that they have, this is an exclusive title streaming, and I actually wanted to see this when it came out last year. Uh, it's, I forget, I don't know if it's uh, pronounced Kuso or K-U-S-O, because I've only like read it, but it's a film by Flying Lotus, Flying who Lotus. I'm a big fan of. I fucking love Flying Lotus. Yeah. Love Fly Low. And the, <laughs> he co-wrote it with David Firth, who you may know as the creator of Salad Fingers. Oh, God. Which you know that this thing is going to be fucked up, and I'm so excited to watch yeah, it. That's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, uh, that's an exclusive title made by Shudder for Shudder. Uh, another big one that they had was Mayhem. Mayhem is very good, too. Yeah, which I've talked about on Dead Meat before. That's with uh, Stephen Young from uh, Walking Dead. Oh, perfect. In a starring role. Yeah, from Walking Dead. There we so, go. <laughs> hell yeah, dude. It all ties together, beautiful, man. Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, so there's there's stuff added weekly. You have unlimited access to stream on, and it, like most streaming services, um, I think, you know, uh, let's see, we've got Android. We're both Androids. Yeah, so, Android Nation. You know, Roku, iPhone, iPad, all of them. It's, yeah, it Chromecasts easily, you yes. know. It's a, very, it's a very nice functional app, unlike some other streaming apps, which I won't say by name, but sometimes <laughs> you try to pause something, go to the bathroom, come back, and it's crashed. Yes. That sucks. Yeah, that's no, no good. <laughs> so if you want to try Shutter for free mm-hmm. for 30 days we have a promo code for you deadmeat30 that's deadmeat all one word three zero and yeah. you get to try Shutter for free yeah. for 30 days that's a long time you could watch so much stuff dude you could watch so much stuff yes. so that's that's Shutter. that's s-h-u-d-d-e-r dot com slash Dead meat 30. Yeah. Okay. It's still summer right now. A lot of you might have summer vacation. Mm-hmm. Get that, you know, that last month in school starting up soon. Yeah, dude. Get in all these horror movies before school starts. You have homework and stuff to worry about. And then, and then what's great about it is that even after the promo period, it's so reasonably priced. It is. $4.99 a month. Yeah. And if you do it for a full year, you get two months free because it's it's only $49.99 for the whole year. Yeah. So let's say you have a, uh, there's a little card that you used to be able to use to go in the movies basically for free that, uh, that went tits up this last week or so and you have a lot of free time and you're, you want to watch some movies. This is ba- this is basically just as reasonably priced for access to so much, and you don't even have to leave your home. Hell yeah! Yeah, and we're all about not leaving home. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, again, that's Dead Meat Thirty, all one word, Dead Meat Three Zero, and that's Shudder S H U D D E R, not Shutter. Not yeah yeah. Not like Windows shutters. No. This and is Shudder. Yeah, that's Shudder.com/podcast. 
Yes. And use that promo code. Yeah, that's important. Shudder, S-H-U-D-D-E-R.com slash podcast. Promo code DEADMEAT30. Romero starts uh, screening this film for distributors. Columbia says no because it's in black and white. Uh, AIP says yes if the ending is changed. Which he does not do. He does not do. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, he uh, gets released in 1968 after it's bought by Walter Reed. If you are from New York or New Jersey, that name is familiar to you. If you're not, it doesn't sound familiar. He's got like a chain of theaters. He was like, he was like kind of a kingpin of these movie theaters on the East Coast. But when he buys it, uh, when he gets the rights to it, it's re-released. So he releases it once, it does okay, and then he re-releases it again. And it's on a double bill with a movie called Slaves in 1969, which uh, this is when the film starts getting attention. And so Slaves is a movie that uh, it's about a slave revolt in the pre-Civil War South starring Dionne Warwick. And... A lot of people think, and I think this makes total sense, that this double billing and this association with this really racially charged movie is basically, is very responsible, or at least partially responsible for the readings that many critics and theorists end up taking away from this movie. Yeah, that makes sense. Yes. So it's all the, it's like implied similarities between the two because they're being billed together, even though those you know, readings, you know, if that meaning wouldn't have been there originally. Mm-hmm. But by putting those two things together, you're kind of, you know, making your audience think, well, what do these two movies have in common? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So critics praise it. Uh, big word of mouth around film buffs. And so now it's the early 70s. And this is when the movie gets super popular. And it runs um, in theaters around New York from 71 to 73. It's constantly in it's so interesting. I feel like it's so much less common nowadays for a movie to really gain popularity years after it's released. You know, if a movie doesn't do well when it first comes out nowadays, I feel like that's it. It's dead. Mm-hmm. But here's a movie that when it first came out, maybe didn't do uh, the best, but then it found this new life years later. Yeah. If anyone can think of an example of a more modern movie because I'm sure there is I just can't think of any the only, the only things I can think of are movies that like they didn't come out but they were maybe developed years or like Deadpool was uh written and developed uh mm-hmm. for years and then came out but mm-hmm. like it was popular when it came out it's not like it came out and people slept on it for years and then it like got re-released or something so hmm. I'm not entirely sure when uh because now just it's all about marketing and advertising that opening weekend mm-hmm. whereas before it was like you you <laughs> the movie get goes around from town to town getting showed mm-hmm. at screenings yeah yeah so this um this era of its peak popularity is when nixon is in office <laughs> so you've got you know the anti-war movement has a ton of momentum the pentagon papers leak which if you don't know what the pentagon papers were basically was a bunch of documents uh detailing our our involvement in vietnam and how we planned it out and go see the post go see the post the post explains it very well post made me cry because i it love did. freedom he cried of press. for america it was yeah. so cute <laughs> <laughs> um this i thought these stats were so crazy rotc enrollment decreases from 191,749 in 1966 to an all-time low of 33,220 in 1974 so from almost 200,000 in yes. 66 to about 30,000 so in 74. people aren't super like hyped up about <laughs> the military or our involvement overseas um you're yeah. telling me people didn't didn't want to go fight in a jungle and get agent no. orange dropped on them 
They did not want to invade Cambodia, <laughs> even though Nixon promised a de-escalation of the Amer- of American involvement. Thanks, Kissinger. Thanks, Kissinger. <laughs> that yep, that's what say. I was gonna say. Kissinger. This <laughs> is that was the what Vietnamization of the war, where they were promising, okay, we'll get Americans out. We'll make we'll make the Vietnamese fight their war. We'll train them how to fight, and we'll have the Vietnamese finish it up for us. Yeah. How many times has Kissinger come up in this podcast? So many. He comes up constantly. <sighs> I mean, he's a big part of America's you, you nightmares. You can't escape me. You can't escape, you can't escape <laughs> me in your podcast about your, horror. I haunt your nightmares. I am influential and still alive and friends with <laughs> oh Stephen God, Colbert. Still, I always forget he's still and alive. And I am a Nobel Peace Prize winner. Oh, my God. I have slumber parties at Hillary Clinton's house. <laughs> Does he? I mean, they hang out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, what else is going on? Oh, oh. yeah. I've got the... Uh, so, after this invasion of Cambodia, that's the protest at Kent State where four students are killed by the National Guard. Shit's crazy. <laughs> Shit is crazy. Damn, shit was crazy for a long time. Yes, it was. The, so, the uh, climate's super bleak, and it feels like moral failure is inevitable. That's kind of how everyone feels, just cynical. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Again, feels like the world's ending. It's probably why Night of the Living Dead resonated. And um, it's another quote from George Romero about why he thinks this movie got so popular. I thought it was about revolution. Um, you know, we were 60s guys and um, thinking, you know, in those terms, sort of pissed off that the 60s revolution didn't work. Peace and love didn't solve anything in the end. In fact, shit was looking worse. And I said, what would be a really earth-shattering thing that would be revolutionary and that people would refuse to ignore the dead? Stop staying dead. Oh, and there's one thing more. They like to eat living people. <laughs> so I think we kind of have a good grasp on why this zombie movie. And, you know, we get Dawn of the Dead a few years later. I think that's 75. Yeah. Um, somewhere around there. But yeah, so why around this time uh, zombies are really popular? Why this specific version of zombies really hits a nerve? Um, but why do they come back all of a sudden? In the early 2000s, there's actually a graph, and I, I wish I printed it out to show you. Oh, someone you could made throw it up. Yes. Oh my god. <laughs> I need his. What is it? His crazy like. Oh god. His alligator. Voodoo stick? His voodoo stick. Oh my god, that would have been perfect. Oh, dude, you fucked up. I fucked up. <laughs> um, someone made a graph showing you know years. It's like decades and how many zombie movies come out in each decade, and it literally is just a big. There's a big dip in, in the, the 80s, 90s. 90s is the least. Okay. Yeah, which kind of like you said, the 90s, everything seemed pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so right around the the turn of the new millennium, zombies come back. And this quote from Max Brooks, I think, really sums up what I'm about to dive into. Max Brooks, if you know, if you like zombies, you know who Max Brooks is. Can I do it? Yes. We're living in very uncertain times. People have a lot of anxiety about the future. They're constantly being battered with these very scary, very global catastrophes. I think a lot of people think the system is breaking down, and just like the 1970s, people need a safe place to explore their apocalyptic worries. They can't read stories about real plague or nuclear war. That's too scary. That'll make them turn away. Zombie stories give people the opportunity to witness the end of the world they've been secretly wondering about while, at the same time, allowing themselves to sleep at night because the catalyst of that end is fictional. There's a lot of build-up to this kind of feeling, especially the um, the little changes that we see in zombies beginning around this time. There's a lot of build-up 
to that. And by that, I mean zombies beginning as medical experiments or having their origins in medical fuck-ups or pandemics. Yeah, because Night of the Living Dead, it's it's not expounded upon too much, but they mention a satellite. So it makes sense, space space race mm-hmm. and uh, that kind of like... Nuclear anxiety. Yeah, so like they yeah. mention a satellite or, or no, 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 I think it's like a... Uh, comet or something like that but it's something from space that like mm-hmm. just happens to affect the dead on the earth mm-hmm. and that makes sense coming from space when uh, from a time where like we were focused on space and the space race yeah. and now it's uh it's a biological thing yeah when i was younger the tagline of dawn of the dead always freaked me out and i think is the scariest explanation for zombies that there's just no more room in hell that always <laughs> yeah. freaked me out um, but no, so, uh, you know, we start to see zombies as as medical experiments gone wrong. And so think about, uh, you know, there's such there's an increase in global pandemics leading up to kind of the turn of the millennium. So we've got Ebola in 76. AIDS in the 1980s is like oh the big one. Mm-hmm. Avian flu is a bird flu in China in the 90s and SARS in 2003. It's mysterious, it's deadly, and it's baffling medical science. Acquired immune deficiency syndrome. Once thought to affect only promiscuous homosexual males, AIDS is now spreading in epidemic proportions to other segments of the population. Ultimately, I think the natural result of this, and it makes you know perfect sense that in 1996, we get Resident Evil, yeah. the video the game. game. Yeah. Yep. So the Umbrella Corporation develops a T-virus that brings corpses back to life. So then we get all those games and all those movies. I think there was an interview where um, Sean Pegg, or Simon, Simon Pegg, Pegg yeah. <laughs> mixing up Sean Penn. And Simon, Pegg. <laughs> Simon Pegg says he thinks that the kind of modern zombie movement is like Resident Evil started it. That makes 90s. sense. Yeah. Um, however, 28 Days Later is the film often credited with kicking off this modern obsession with zombie movies. So, you know, on screen zombies, 28 Days Later is this big one. So good. Dude. Yeah. And so that's apes infected with a rage inducing virus escaping from a lab. So again, it's another medical reason that zombies exist. And uh, yeah, so this this fear of this global pandemic portrayed in modern zombie movies, it kind of reflects a fear of globalism. And I think that's where a lot of the fear of pandemics in general in real life kind of comes from too, is this feeling that we're all so much more interconnected. So even if there is a, you know, we have the SARS epidemic happening in China there's still a fear that that can get to us because we are so much more interconnected in this new millennium. Yeah, this is this is globalism as an actual concept, not as yes. a dog whistle term. Yes. <laughs> but uh, yeah, just the the increasing interconnectivity yep. of nations around the world. And of course, that freaks people out. Yeah, especially with uh, countries that had previously been seen as like a third world or a developing country like China. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking specifically having that uh, enter the the global scene as a power mm-hmm. and with a culture that may seem very different from the like Western Europe culture that uh, Americans and other uh, Western nations are used to. That mm-hmm. is probably very frightening. Mm-hmm. And all of this is also happening post 9-11. And that's obviously an event that changes the U.S. forever. And the world. And the world, yeah. <laughs> so that's a feeling of vulnerability that's just unprecedented. You know, like we were talking about with the the U.S.'s kind of attitude post-World War II, we just always felt like we were invincible. War happened somewhere else, you know, not yeah. counting Pearl Harbor. 
But even that, but even that's that, Hawaii. That's in the middle of the Pacific exactly. Ocean. And when it happened, Hawaii wasn't a state. People often that's forget right. that. Hawaii was a territory when that that's happened. Right. Hawaii didn't become a state until the 50s. And uh, so, yeah, it's like American ground. But that'd be like something happening in uh, uh, Virgin Islands or like Puerto Rico. Uh, Puerto Rico or even like like Guatemala. Yeah. Uh, which like was in the news recently when it was talking about like, or wait, is it Guatemala? Guam. I'm sorry. Guatemala is a a country. Yes. yes. Oh yeah. I'm, uh, my apologies. Uh, my brain gets tripped up by similar letters. But Guam, which is a U.S. territory in the Pacific Ocean, that was in the news last year when North Korea I was, was developing. Say it was North Korea, yeah, yeah. When they were developing their missiles that could deliver nuclear warheads to Guam, is much closer to them. Mm-hmm. So Guam was like uh, in the danger zone yeah. for a while, and that was all over the news. But like, it'd be like something happening there. It would be, you know. We'd probably go to war over it, but it wouldn't feel it as wouldn't feel immediate. like something happening to California. New York City. Yeah, yeah, or, yeah, yeah, exactly. Back on the Y2K front, despite all of the assurances that the Y2K computer problems are under control at a cost of $100 billion in this country, a lot of Americans nonetheless are taking no chances. They're prepared to survive no matter what happens. Other things going on, too, post 9-11, we've got, well, Y2Ks. 9-11 yeah another big uh did you do anything special for y2k i was a, i was a tiny bit scared mm-hmm. i remember as the clock struck midnight but back then my uh new year's tradition was to um get pot all the pots and pans out and bang on them with spoons that oh was, that's that was what i did at midnight i remember we didn't i don't think we did anything for y2k except just in case fill up the bathtub with fresh water oh yeah just in case. Just in case. Because it's water. Sure. You know, if you anything water. happens. But then, uh, yeah, nothing happened. Yep. Uh, did you drink the water anyway? I don't th- remember. I don't think we did. Did you clean the tub first? I remember my only memories from Y2K are going around the house and saying, this milk's been in the fridge since the last millennium, <laughs> which is fun. It's fun to do that on New Year's normally, but when it's the last millennium, yeah. that's so much better. Nice. Yeah. So we've got global warming. Uh, An Inconvenient Truth is released in 2006, which I think uh, I would say a lot of people cite as a reason that most of America started to like. Oh, 100%. Yeah, that was a big thing for global warming. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Anthrax, Hurricane Katrina, the Iraq War, and the market crash 2008. It's a little bit later, but Mm -hmm. still. And I think a week later, The Walking Dead premieres. I feel like it was a little later. Really? Yeah. I feel like I... right around the same time then. Yeah. It's after the market crash yeah, happens. Yeah. And then we get biggest zombie show of all time. Mm-hmm. Biggest zombie anything of all time, probably. Definitely. Dude. Yeah. It's it's huge. It's bigger than Game of Thrones, right? I think so. Yeah. It's like the biggest cable it's huge, yeah. show. So, I think. yeah, so basically the, the 2000s are a decade of chaos and extreme uncertainty. And so zombies show up again everywhere. <laughs> That's why they're in everything. And even George Romero comes back in 2005 with Land of the Dead. This was a film that he originally began writing to be released in the 90s. And he started shopping the script around right before 9-11. And so then after 9-11 happens and after all the emotional aftermath of that, he goes back to the script and totally reworks it to accommodate for this kind of new normal that is 9-11 America. So it's a, if you watch it, it's very um, pointedly about living in a post 9-11 world, post 9-11 America. And it has John Leguizamo. (laughs) Um, 
he was everywhere i feel like around then yeah he had a good run in the early 2000s yeah he's in all the baz lerman movies or late 90s too nine because he was in fucking mario oh my god he's luigi right he's luigi yes <laughs> uh, to bob hoskins's mario yeah Oh, boy. Uh, so, you know, now with this resurgence, the zombie genre becomes what we're really familiar with now. It's super survivalist and individualist. Yeah. And survivalism in general, not just in zombie movies, is huge in the 2000s. It is right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it's a huge thing. There's a big surge in interest post 9-11. And I did find in my research that this interest in the 2000s is mirrored only in size to the 1970s. I'm preparing my family for the total destruction of the power grid. A devastating earthquake. A series of catastrophic terrorist attacks. Super volcano. Doomsday Preppers, a new series, premieres Tuesday, February 7th at 9 on the National Geographic Channel. So if you're not sure what survivalism is or you don't, you've not really heard of it, it's basically just self-reliance and obsessive preparation for a- any world-ending event. Food shortage, natural disaster, terrorist attack, etc. It could be anything. It's always kind of appealed to me. Yeah? I've always kind of wanted to, like, learn all that shit. I mean... I think there's, there's, why, you know, why not? But yeah, then there's also like healthy ways to do that. Sure. I think sometimes it gets a little weird. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, oftentimes even. But yeah. it'd still be cool to know all those skills. I don't want to go live out in a cabin in the, in the woods. Yeah. And isolate myself. Because that's when you start going a little Unabomber. <laughs> oh, yeah. is that what he was doing? Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So this resurgence of survivalism and its presence in more recent zombie stories, The Walking Dead is like a survivalist zombie show. And I thought of the board game Dead of Winter, which we have right here. Super fun board game. But I was when I was writing this, I realized, oh, my God, that whole board game is just a survivalist zombie fantasy because half the time you're just you're hoarding supplies. And yeah, you're holed up in like a where are you supposed to be in? I forget. Some kind of like, like base, some compound thing, yeah. type thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's a fun game. I fucking love it. So, of course, this this resurgence of survivalism, zombie survivalism, has, of course, resulted in real life zombie survivalist groups, which I love that these exist. <laughs> the Kansas anti-zombie militia is the most prominent, but I found some other places in Alabama, Central Iowa. If you're a member of any other ones that I did not mention, please comment. Or any of the ones we did mention. Just hit us yeah, up. Tell, Let us know. I want to know all Invite about. us out there, man. Oh my God. We abs- no, we absolutely would. Yeah. Come. If you're I'll doing come do your training regimen. Training exercise, like boot camp. Yeah. I'll, I'll absolutely Fuck go. Fuck yeah, dude. I will ask. We'll make a video about it. I hope there are monkey bars oh involved. God. So um, this, is a, uh, this is a quote from the, the spokesperson for the Kansas anti-zombie militia. This is from a local news report. My thought is, if you're ready for zombies, you're ready for anything, whether it be natural disasters, fall of government, invasion from another country. The possibilities are endless. Oh, yeah, dude. And this is another report. This is from 2013. Um, so his name is Alfredo Carbajal. Carbajal? Carbajal. Uh, sorry if I'm totally fucking up, but this is another news story. Carbajal, 28, didn't start out as a zombie fighter. He and several friends grew up watching zombie movies like Shaun of the Dead, 28 Days Later, and Night of the Living Dead, and playing video games like the Left 4 Dead video game series. So, yeah. Yep. Left 4 Dead is big, so is the Call of Duty zombie 
uh, mode, which I played I a lot in college. Oh man, yeah, it's you're just in a building and uh, you just see how long you can make it killing zombies that are coming in after you. It's like pretty nihilistic. I don't know if there's an endpoint. Uh, I never reached it. If there is, yeah. I wasn't that good. But so it's all like you know, all this media or a lot of it. Shaun of the Dead, not so much, but. It's all very um, like realistic, quote unquote, zombies, mm-hmm. and you know the idea of a, of a real life zombie militia is treating zombies realistically, like they could be a real thing. And so there's also um, a ton of media that's released around this time that deals with zombies in a realistic way. You have the Zombie Survival Guide released in 2003, written by Max Brooks, who we quoted earlier, who also wrote World War Z in 2006. I fucking love world war z it yeah. is one of my favorite books that i've I read started in the past it and i few didn't years. finish it and i i still want to go back to it yeah it is uh i think it was just it was so bleak you if you are only familiar with the movie i've never seen the movie but apparently they are absolutely nothing alike because yeah. this isn't this book isn't really a narrative what i fucking love about it is like each chapter takes place in a different place on earth and it details the very realistic global response to a zombie outbreak and you get some chapters that are talking about when it first happened you get some chapters talking about like in the middle of it what people were doing to survive but like it's not just like uh, a narrative or like a cliche thing it's it's told in like news reports and interviews and i think in the book it's mostly been put down so a lot of it is like retrospective views on like oh yeah when we were up in the mountains trying to find like the last few zombies uh this happened and it's so cool to to get this global perspective to see what's going on in different places of the country how this kind of thing would affect all these different locations i'm I'm pretty sure like maybe madagascar's reference which is you know an island where in all in all those games where you're trying to infect the world yeah madagascar always screws you up i don't think it's pandemic it's one of those uh simulation contagion or something i don't know something like that yeah you can't infect madagascar you're boned yeah beyond that there's the zombie autopsies secret notebooks from the apocalypse written in 2011 it's a realistic zombie scenario based on real quote-unquote science or as real as you can get i'm steve schlossman i'm an assistant professor at harvard medical school i'm a physician a child psychiatrist so what i'm gonna do now is teach you about zombies. We're going to call this Zombie Autopsies 101. Well, I'm going to tell you all you need to know for the impending zombie apocalypse about the brain of a zombie. And in 2011, the CDC also releases Preparedness 101, <laughs> Zombie Apocalypse. People take the CDC and Schlotzman seriously when both these come out that Is it year. like the War of the Worlds type thing? A little bit. Well, because what it was, and, and I... the the article i was reading about this compared this to uh war of the worlds where schlotzman appeared on a radio show and jokingly he treated his zombie science as though it were 100 percent real mm-hmm. and so you've got people calling him they people calling the cdc asking I, I, apparently mostly about weaponry proper <laughs> weaponry according to their communications director but yeah so people treat this seriously i find it interesting uh the finale of season one of walking dead takes place at the cdc in atlanta uh they go there and they get a very scientific like look at the outbreak and what's going on and that's that's kind of when they realize that like it's unavoidable that no matter what happens you become a zombie Mm -hmm. and then i think the guy like the cdc guy that they run into just fucking self-detonates the entire building 
because he's like nothing can be done peace mm-hmm. and so uh yeah it's i love that this it, it's the the best indication of zombies as a biological medical thing that the cdc is so uh associated with it like you kind of just said this new world where it's all inevitable we're not gonna fix it everyone's fending for themselves now Mm -hmm. it's explored at length and what's probably the biggest zombie thing ever the walking dead and you can probably speak more about this than i can because i don't watch that show (laughs) but it's a post-apocalypse world with you know populated with all these groups that are interested in in helping themselves yeah yeah and i mean one of the recurring themes throughout the show is whether or not you can trust other people Mm -hmm. or whether they will backstab you for their own survival or benefit and uh yeah, I mean, I I think that's one of the the strong points. Even as as depressing as it may be sometimes in the show, I think it's a, a realistic, interesting take yeah. on what would happen when society and civilization breaks down. Yeah, what I kind of gather from it, and you know, that focus on are you able to trust other groups of people is you create this world of conflict where you're never gonna have unity because no one trusts each other, and there's this like mentality that triumphs over all that's just self-preservation individualism like focus on yourself and kind of fuck everyone else yeah a little bit and there's like lots of uh a lot of character arcs deal with their um ideology as it pertains to that kind of thing and uh, as it evolves over time you have characters who like start as a super selfish and survivalist like i'm thinking michonne who ends up like learning how to love and care for other people and then you have other people like carol who uh looks for her daughter a lot in the first couple seasons and then just becomes like a total survivalist badass Mm -hmm. so yeah it's interesting yeah so newer zombie stuff there's not the focus on global community like the older films have um there's not as much of a focus about everyone banding together to survive together though newer zombie movies and older zombie movies may differ in terms of how humans plan on surviving you know reaching out to what's left of society versus saying fuck society and we'll start a new one there's still that ever-present theme of you know arguing while the world burns fighting in the farmhouse uh you know clans fighting each other in the walking dead humans always argue and squabble while the apocalypse happens outside. That's true in zombie movies as it is in real life. And George Romero kind of sums it up best in an interview talking about Land of the Dead. Nothing changes it, man. What does it take? What does it take to kick people in the ass hard enough to get them to, you know, wake up? I I just thought that that was so powerful that there's still this through line in zombie movies that's been there since the beginning of at least modern zombies this yeah. idea that like you know humans can't get our shit together like and we can't mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> yeah yeah so i hope uh hope you liked that one it yeah. got a little little dark can we can we uh make this podcast in tribute to george romero yes father of the modern zombie and who we sadly lost last year yeah yeah watching all these interviews with him made me so sad because he's so funny yeah and so animated and he yeah he just seems like someone who makes horror movies because he cares about humans and that's what i get a lot from watching interviews with like these older horror greats is they're so aware of what horror says about 
the human condition and stuff. And I think a lot of it comes out of a genuine empathy for humans and wanting humans to, you know, get their act together. Yeah, it's so sad that we're losing them all, man. I know. Him, Craven, Hooper. It's a damn shame. Yeah, but... Again, if you uh, want to watch the documentary I was watching with all these interviews in them, there's really good interviews with John Carpenter, too, where he kind of he talks about a lot of the same stuff, you know, horror kind of reflecting on, you know, what we're afraid of as a society. Uh, Nightmares in Red, White and Blue. It's really, really good. Where can people find it? It's on Amazon Prime, actually. So okay. it's streaming. Yeah, if you have cool. Prime. Nice. Yeah. Uh, oh, what's our, who's our friend who sent us that stuff? Uh, his name's on that, that thing down there. Oh, yeah. We got stuff in the mail. Yeah, yeah, uh, the, the This is Camden. Camden. My friend Camden. Let's see if I can grab all of these. Who is head. 12 years old and going into the seventh grade. He loves practical folks and dead meat. So thank you, Camden. And Camden, dog, you are so creative, dude. You are 12 years old and he is just he and I love that his creativity uh, is it takes like takes form in multiple different out forms because not only did he do this wonderful drawing yes, of Lil John from Peter Pan as Lil John uh, the rap artist from Robin Hood from our Robin Hood drunk Disney yeah right? oh he does, has a Peter he Pan, has a I'm Peter sorry. Pan hat though. he does yeah yeah my bad yeah we've got these little figurines he made like too. clay figurines and these. Uh, Camden, I, I'm just going to let you know, dude, you made all these little horror icons in clay form and, uh, apologies to anyone who's just listening and not seeing it on video, but you, you did them in a way that I think is, uh, actually highly marketable. So please keep at exactly what you're doing, because if you think of stuff like Funko Pops, where they all have the same design, but you can make uh, small little alterations for different characters. That's exactly the type of style that you landed on here with these they're awesome really little clay cute. figures. They're they're all similar in construction, but you gave them features that make them instantly recognizable as who they are. We got Jason, Michael, Freddy, yeah. Leatherface, uh, and then smaller Chucky figures for Billy. Chucky and Billy. And it's adorable. Really cute. It's cute. It's fantastic. You even made little weapon accessories for them. Yeah. And, uh, and if you like, never feel like marketing art, that's fine too. That's fine too. I'm just letting you know that. Yeah. Like, like if that's something you decide to like, you're very talented. Yeah. So please never let anyone stop you from uh, pursuing your creative endeavors because uh, your your letter is very nice to us. Yeah. You your art is very nice. You had a little uh puzzle for us to put together. Oh, that's like, right. We got to like put together. He made us a little puzzle. Yeah. And talk I'm so about excited. ambition. Yeah. So thank you, Camden. Very cool. Like that was the highlight of our week getting that package yeah, from that you. Yeah, that was so fun. So thank you, Camden. I'm I'm just so honored to have you as a fan, man. And if anyone wants to send us stuff we have a p.o box i don't have the information on me offhand yeah we can put it in the description yeah the video so you can find us uh or if you want to just tweet at me and i'll, I'll send it your way uh feel free to send us stuff it's fun to get stuff like this man it's you i know, know i love it it feels stuff like, like christmas this. when stuff shows up <laughs> in the p.o box yeah it's yeah. great and it's uh it really makes all this work worth it yeah for, for sure fans like camden and anyone else who's send us wonderful things yeah uh, we're recording this before we go, but it, we're releasing this after we've just come back from Austin. So it's great meeting you all in Austin. Yeah. Great meeting you. I hope there's no dick fans. There never is. No. They're always Everyone's wonderful. Everyone's very nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's, 
that's where we'll leave off until next week, right? Do we know what we're doing next week? No. We'll figure it out. No. Movie review. Be fun to pick Maybe one. Maybe Cry Wolf. God damn it. See, all you comments asking us for it. Everyone you're just encouraging it. her. It's going to be so fun. All right. Maybe cry wolf. <laughs> uh, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me at Carebeck. That's C-A-R-E-B-E-C-C on Twitter and Instagram. Where can they find you? Oh, uh, uh, Dead Meat on YouTube and Dead Meat James on Twitter and Instagram. That threw me off because I went first. Yeah, sorry. I kind of threw that all off. There's also a store with merchandise. Yeah, Mm deadmeatstore.com. Lots of fun stuff there. We're looking into some new stuff that I think you'll be very excited about. So that'll be there soon. But yeah, until uh, next week, I'm James. I'm Chelsea. And this has been the Dead Meat Podcast. 